Hi, I'm Nathan Ryder, and welcome to the Viber Survivors podcast, where I talk to PhD graduates about their research, their Viber, and life after the PhD. This is episode 18, and today I'm talking to Dr. Anna Shibashinska, a PhD graduate from the University of Sheffield. Anna's research was in human geography, and her research interest was organic wine production in Italy. I talked to Anna about how she did her research, and also about how she prepared for her Viber and what happened on the day. I'm really fascinated to hear what your research was about because sure. um, I'm not quite sure how people do research in human geography. So it's it's yeah. always it's always a learning experience for me. Well, human geography is is quite a mongrel discipline. I think it draws a lot on other disciplines, and it kind of tries and carve itself out as quite different. But I think the difference is in the fact that it is so very open. So probably uh, only a third or a quarter of the of the people that I ended up citing in my thesis are human geographers. The rest are anthropologists, sociologists, ethnologists. So it just sort of fits into that whole family of social science. And the kind of method that I've been always most interested in and that um, I've been employing in the thesis, maybe probably (laughs) because I'm really bad at math and I've never done any statistics in my life. And in fact, I always run in the exact opposite direction to statistics. Uh, so the exact opposite direction to statistics is participatory observation research. And I was quite inspired by sort of old school anthropologists where you just, you know, choose a village and kind of sit in it for a year and then write a book. So I did my research quite hardcore. I, I lived in Italy for uh, nine months in kind of three distinct stages to cover the whole of the production year, which really depends on weather. So say July, August, nothing happens in the vineyards because everything is already done. And you're just waiting for the grapes to mature and kind of praying for no rain. Um, but then there are different stages where you want to be there and see how things occur. But I didn't sit in one village. I sat in five different villages. Okay. <laughs> I kind of looked at five different wineries and uh, I could go into a lot of detail there. But basically it was very, very qualitative research so a lot of interviews but most of it was just about um, just kind of living the kind of life that these people lived to the extent that it was possible for me uh, working in the vineyards working in the wineries and just sort of being like an apprentice really so learning about what they're doing but with all this theoretical stuff always always at the back of my head so it's a very it's a very funky um situation to be in and there's lots of written about it kind of being the insider but being the outsider at the same time and at one point my uh the the, the winery where i spent most of my time the people there started calling me the spy the spy <laughs> like, yeah because i was always walking around with my little recorder and uh uh with a notepad and with a camera and like everything that was said was like noted down um, so yeah, it was. It, I actually quite liked it when they started calling me the spy. It sort of normalised it. How did you get interested in this sort of area? My PhD was funded, 
and it was funded as a part of a larger research project. That research project was funded by the USRC, and its remit was actually to look at waste. And one of the streams in that big project was looking at waste in the agricultural sector. And at the time when I applied for this PhD, I was basically um, working and finding out that I really don't fit into the real world and I really need to go back to academia. So I just wrote a proposal that focused on the waste aspect. But once the PhD started and once I started to kind of think about the things that really drive me and interest me, the direction changed. So waste kind of remained an aspect, but actually it didn't even make it to the thesis. Um, I, I wrote an article about it, but in my thesis I focused on completely other stuff. So I think that pragmatic element has to be kind of out there, <laughs> to be in the clear. Sure. I'm not, you know, it's not been my lifelong passion. It's not been, I've not, you know, been drinking wine since I was 12 or something like that. I just happen to know a little bit about wine. I happen to get this funding and I happen to speak Italian and all this kind of fell into place. What did you do before your PhD then? Because I think you just you just mentioned that you were working, but what was your sort of uh, education background then? What sort of yeah, area? Yeah, so, uh, so I'm Polish by origin, and I only moved to the UK when I was 17, after my Polish A-levels. And I went and did a, a kind of funky combined honours degree at UCL, uh, which was called then European Social and Political Studies. And it was like a perfect degree for people that don't know what to do with themselves and just feel them feel like slight oddballs and they need to try things out. So I learned <laughs> I learned the modern language, I learned about philosophy, I learned about politics, I got to live in Italy for a year and write a um, dissertation which was called Whores and Madonnas, the perceptions of female body in the Italian media. I think that was the title. Um, wow. And I just discovered anthropology, basically, through that. I discovered that what I'm really interested in doing is basically looking at people and thinking about what they do. And then um, I didn't think that I was good enough, I think, to be in academia. It just kind of never crossed my mind that this is something that I can do. So I went and worked as a financial services headhunter for a year, which was as horrible as you can imagine and more. That, that's, that was just madness. Uh, yeah. um, it did give me a lot of self-confidence, I guess, because it was like, you know, either you stand up to people that are earn as much in a day as you do in a month and hold your ground or not. But it was terrible. It was awful. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd read Chaucer in the afternoons, you know, I'd like watch BBC documentaries and then there was nothing to talk about in the office. Not to try and sound snobbish or anything it just it wasn't yeah, yeah. my it wasn't for me so when this funding opportunity came up um and i was just I, I just contacted my professor from anthropology from when i was an undergraduate and said listen <laughs> i'm depressed this is not good i need to i need to do something and he said well my colleague has this uh, phd you should apply and and that's kind of how it how it happened Wow, that's that's great. You me- you mentioned you went to Italy for nine months as yeah. part of your PhD. So what what did you do for the for the rest of the time? I guess okay. what what did you do? Yeah. So the nine months, well, it, overall it was probably a little bit more. Basically, 
I didn't quite like the whole idea that you just spend a year reading and then you go and do your field work and then you come back and you write things up, which is the kind of standard procedure in human geography. I don't know, at least in Sheffield, I think, which is where I did my PhD. I think in other places as well. And I, I'm just not like that. I, I immediately wanted to kind of go and talk to people. So kind of, I guess, still with my headhunter hat on, I just started calling wine merchants and going, hey, can you tell me about this whole weird market thing and how does it work and what should I do? And I started talking to people by email and on the phone and my first year, still doing my first year. And I discovered this sub market of the wine market, uh, which is organic wines and natural wines. And that got me really interested because I'm I'm a secret, well, not so, not so secret eco-warrior. So I'm like, yes, nature, <laughs> talk about that. And it takes, a, it takes a long time to build up contacts and to kind of build up trust in the companies because really what I was asking people to do was, hey, can I come and live with you for three months and watch you work? Are you okay with that? You know, you kind of have to, you have to develop these kind of relationships. So during my first year, I went to a big wine fair called Vinitli. Um, and then I just met a lot of people. I just went through a booklet and looked at who was uh, declaring themselves as organic. And I just went and talked to these people. Then I did a little um, sort of pilot, I suppose. So I went for um, 10 days and visited these wineries that I was thinking of going and staying with. And thus the relationships got established. And at the end of my first year in September, I went for a harvest. And so this was the first three months. And after that, so it was quite good. I think breaking fieldwork up was quite wise because not only you get really tired, you kind of lose distance. Uh, mm -hmm. You forget why you're there, basically. Um, anthropologists call it going native when you start yeah. <laughs> identifying with people that you're studying and you sort of lose your identity as a researcher. So I'd stay for three months and then I'd come back home to the UK and I would basically transcribe my material. I'd use that time to do that. I'd meet with my supervisors and tell them what I've been up to um, and we would kind of analyse stuff as it was happening to think about who else do I need to go and talk to and am I building a, a kind of holistic picture of, of what's going on. And yeah, three months would go by before you knew it. <laughs> yeah. So, would you, when you went out to Italy, I imagine that you would have some idea of the kinds of things that you'd be uh, trying to observe or the kinds of things that were going on, but was, did that stay fixed or did that evolve over time? Um, did, I, I suppose, did you have kind of like some fixed questions that you were looking to answer or did some of those questions arise while you were looking yeah, in ethnography, I think it's always a mix of the kind of interests of the researchers and the problems or issues or um, just the, just what, what's key for the people that, that you're working with or that you're studying, if you like. So as I said, my, my original focus was waste, and I kept going on about waste until people got really sick of me. And they were saying, look, waste is not really a big deal, but there is all this other stuff going on, like 
the uncertainty about wine production and the variability of taste and the difficulty of selling all this stuff and the difference between um, big scale and small scale producers and all this other stuff other stuff started emerging and um, the one good thing about being back as well was that I would have a little bit of time to kind of read up <laughs> and think okay yeah. how, does this, how does this idea develop and how what, how can I kind of think about it further when I go back into the field it's all it all sounds very planned but actually it was very kind of ad hoc and yeah you just you have to take what people give you very much yeah so what um I guess what were some of the conclusions or the the endpoints of your um research then? My thesis was quite theoretical in that I became very interested in the kind of theories that try and and forgive me for going technical here, kind of try and move social science beyond just talking about people but are trying to talk about people in the context of uh, the infrastructural and ecological and other networks that they're part of, but the kind of the key thing, the kind of two fake. It's always it always comes down to two fakes, like things that don't quite fit and they keep kind of niggling at you and bothering you. So the thing that kept bothering me really was this seeming conflict between the production side where people were like artisans and they were really putting their heart into it and there was all this stuff that had to do with the protection of nature which is a huge loaded concept which took a lot of kind of unpacking and this whole idea that through this viticulture of, of organic type you're creating a space which is more natural and you're doing things more naturally and that was on the one hand, and on the other hand, then you have to sell this stuff, and you find out that the stuff that is produced naturally or that is natural um, is quite difficult to sell because it goes off or it oxidizes or it's very odd or it's very different. It doesn't quite fit into kind of what people expect of a wine. Um, so how do you resolve these kind of this this conflict, and is it really a conflict? That's kind of what. I was talking about in the thesis on quite a theoretical level. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was like a collection of really in-depth case studies, but with that theme running through them, trying to make sense of it for myself. Wow, it sounds just fascinating. Well, that's when, still quite uh, close to my heart, and I, after writing yeah. the thesis, I don't think I quite figured it out yet. It's like it's still, yeah, it was just that was just the beginning. <laughs> So as you were getting to the, well, I guess as you finished writing your thesis, the Viva must have started to come up on the horizon. So so what did you do to prepare for your Viva? Okay, well, first of all, I went for a holiday. Okay. After I handed in my thesis, I immediately went for a holiday. I don't know if it was a good idea or not, because I did spend a lot of my holiday thinking about the PhD. But then I stopped. So maybe that was not so bad. So I kind of put it aside. And then I really started preparing for the Viva um, a week before. Um, okay. Yeah. Like really seriously. So would you like me to kind of tell you all the stages? <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. How long did you have between when you submitted and when you had your Viva? Um, April, May, two and a half months. 
Okay. Yeah, quite a bit of time. But I was already working on something else then, so yeah, I didn't spend the time sort of biting my nails. Uh, my head was already somewhere else, which is why I really needed a week just to focus on, on the thesis, actually. So I still have this mental image, well, this very visual image of myself. I'm looking over my garden at the moment, and that's basically where I spent the week preparing for the Viva. I just had my thesis, I had key articles, um, and a series of questions. And that's what I did. I read the whole thesis slowly and carefully. Tried not to worry about the weakness of my language. But I did try and read it with a sort of critical eye going, okay, if I wanted to pick on something, what would I pick on? And I think the really key thing there is to know your external examiner well. I think the internal examiner is sort of already on your side a little bit, unless, you know, you didn't do a very good job choosing it or your supervisors didn't do a very good job choosing him or her and then it creates problems. But probably you need to read up on both of your examiners, but I think the external examiner is the more important one. So you really want to know what they're thinking and how they're thinking and um and I don't mean get into their head, but just the sort of stuff that they have published on, the sort of stuff that they're really interested in, and so the sort of stuff that they will be likely to want to talk to you about. And um, so I did that. And um, yeah, I had like a this list of questions to ask myself about the thesis, which I'm happy to share. Um, yeah. And they were, I mean, they were, they, they were the kind of, that was kind of what, what to expect in your Viva. So. You know, can you talk about the th what kind of theoretical framework you use? Can you talk about your methods? Can you talk about um, your overall argument? Can you summarize your overall argument in a minute? Can you now summarize it in one sentence? Um, so all this kind of stuff. And then I also spent a little time, a little bit of time, which was suggested by my supervisors, thinking about where do I want to take this next? Where would I publish it? What would I publish? And kind of prepared a list of questions for the examiner, for the for the end of the Viva, which proved to be really, really useful. Uh, basically asking for advice on particular points. When you had these practice questions, did you practice answering them out loud? Or were you, were you writing things down? Or was it a, a mixture? Yeah, I was saying them out loud. Um, I can't remember whether I asked any of my family members to listen to me talk. I don't think I was that cruel. I ended <laughs> up talking to the fence. But I definitely made sure that I said things out loud rather than just saying them in my head and pretending I know what I'm talking about. Because the thing about saying, saying things out loud is you can't really hide behind words. Nice, long, complicated, theoretical words. You really need to know what you're what you're saying. So it was like trying to strip the the arguments down to the bare bones, uh, which often meant really uncovering the places where they were weak, and trying to think, okay, how do I how do I explain why this is maybe not as strong as it should be, and how do I prepare for the possible critique of this point, for example? I, I really like the idea. Um I think you mentioned that your supervisors may, might have given you some direction, but um, of thinking of some questions that you could ask your examiners 
when I talk to a lot of people, they, they seem to initially have an idea that it's almost like a, an inquisition and the questions can only go one way from, from the examiners to the candidate. But that's really great that you had the, that, that idea. Yeah, somebody told me, someone told me that examiners get paid something like £250 to examine a PhD thesis, which is basically nothing, because by the time they've spent a day and uh, done the transport, and it takes about three days probably to read a thesis, really. So it means they have to, if they're agreeing to be your examiner, it means that they're interested in something that you have to say. So probably... Probably they'll have some interesting insights for you to draw on. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it unless somebody really twisted their arm. But I think that's unlikely. So what did you take with you to the Viva? Because you mentioned that you were preparing with your thesis and some papers. Is that all you took with you or did you take anything else? I can't remember whether I took my... I definitely took my thesis. I didn't mark it up like people sometimes do. With the, I can see the point of it, but somehow I felt like I knew it so well that I didn't need those little flaggy things uh, I did take um, okay I did take a packet of dried dates because this is something that I've been taking with me to all my exams and my driving license exam and everything I just find that having a sugar cake really helps your brain so at the very beginning of the vibe I just put them down there and said this is not a bribe <laughs> but help yourself with my dried dates um, and another thing I took with me to the Viva was a packet of tissues because I get really emotional when talking about stuff that I really care about and I start to cry. So <laughs> at the beginning of my Viva, I also said that <laughs> I've got an allergy. But <laughs> I've got allergies, so if I start crying, they shouldn't be alarmed. Um, but yeah, I ended up not 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 crying but i was prepared for that <laughs> so 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 this podcast might be the first time that your examiners learn that you don't have allergies no i told them after oh you told them okay <laughs> when we had made friends i i could i could be honest with them <laughs> yeah yeah no that's fine that's very good so how did your how did your viva start did, did had you been asked to prepare any kind of presentation or did no. they just start asking questions no, it was just straight into the conversation. I mean, it started out really nice, the kind of general, you know, what's your name and what's the date kind of questions, you know, what did you do, how did you like it, why did you choose it? So basically the kind of way that conversation, how we started this interview, as a matter of fact. And then it got, and then it got harder and harder and harder and harder, and it lasted three and a, over three hours, I think. Wow. Um, we had a pee break. <laughs> that's good for three hours yeah. yeah but it felt great actually it was really exhilarating I mean there was a moment where the external examiner basically started really examining my uh, theoretical framework and started asking some really hard questions about for example the term nature and it just felt a bit like the ground opened beneath my feet and I thought oh my god I'm going to do have, I don't know, rewrite three chapters, this is terrible, uh, but actually we just worked it out in the conversation, he, I don't know, I'm not saying I blagged my way out of that, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> I, think um, 
I think we just resolved it. We decided that, oh, this is such a complicated term that actually nobody has the right definition. And my attempt was just as good as any anybody else's. So it's all right. <laughs> okay. And did you did you get questions from both of your examiners? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, my internal examiner was quite interested in methods and in ethics. It felt it it, it did feel like quite an but it felt like a strongest conversation between myself and the external examiner because our interests just converge a lot. And uh, uh, when I knew that he was happy to examine me, I was literally ecstatic. It was a great moment to know that he's going to read my stuff. So, Was the Viva stressful at any point? All of it was stressful. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was just like a heightened and uh, adrenaline uh, three hours but uh, I mean I think that the, the best thing that people have told me about Viva is that it's an intense conversation with somebody who's really interested in how you think and um, in your work and that that was that was the case it was a very critical reader but a very interested reader and not somebody that was trying to set um, set me up for failure if you like but somebody that yeah. just really wanted to make sure that I got to the bottom of things, which I not always did. So his comments were really good. Cool. Um, I suppose I've got two more questions still about the vibe, if that's okay. Um, the first one is, did you get some... You know, you mentioned that you'd um, prepared some questions that you were going to ask your examiners. Did you get some good advice uh, when you were asking them about publications or from yeah, them? Yeah, a lot. Um, basically about which journals I should go to and um, which chapters were basically ready to go nearly as they are and which needed some work and what kind of additional readings I should do in order to develop my arguments and uh, basically my examiner said that he's happy to read through any of the paper drafts that I'll be doing so it was very positive in that sense it was like okay so how do we how do we take this to the next level? How do we, if you, well, he actually asked me directly, do you want to stay in academia? And when I said, yes, this is where the kind of, okay, how do we make sure that you set yourself up a career path and conversation started? Wow, that's really nice. Did your viva seem like it was taking three hours? Or? No, no, it already flew by. Um, yeah, it just really did. I, I yeah. couldn't believe it was that long. Yeah, I'm always. Uh, I keep hoping. Well, no, I, I'm not hoping that someday somebody will tell me. No, I had a, a four-hour viva and it really felt like four hours. But everyone I talk to, no matter how long their viva was, it it just feels like it goes by really quickly. Yeah, it's just. I, yeah, you're talking about stuff you know and uh, you're thinking on your feet. It's like a, I don't know. It's like a football game or a run or something where you're in a heightened state of consciousness it's just, there's just this one thing nothing exists yeah. just this conversation yeah. it's i don't know it's yeah it's good it's exhilarating and I'm, yeah. I'm sure people have had horrible experiences but i'm fortunate not to be one of them yeah yeah so what have you been doing since you finished your phd then because your viva was about a year ago wasn't it yeah hard to, so hard to believe yeah so what have you been doing since then? Uh, I was very fortunate to uh, land a job when I was still finishing the PhD. Um, so I applied for a research position and got it. 
Uh, so I'm working as a research associate at the moment on a project which is quite different to what my PhD was about. Um, it's about participatory engagement in science. Um, there is a lot of overlap in terms of theory that I've been using in my PhD, not so much about the empirical stuff, so I'm not looking at wine anymore. Uh, but I hope to go back to that once, uh, basically once I start writing my own funding bids. And maybe not so much to wine, but back to agriculture and back to the environmental issues. And But I like this working between, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, you get to learn so much from people that are outside your field. So I really like that, that in my PhD, I was working with winemakers and this I'm working with scientists. And I want to continue that. It's uh, it's really great when you're working with people from your from outside your area. It's like stretches your horizons immensely. Do you know what sort? Well, you've just mentioned that you'd like to do more things in agriculture, uh, but do you have some kind of ideas about questions or places you might want to go? Yeah. Mm, I mean, maybe you don't want to say on the podcast because uh, I've still got two years left of my research contract and only just starting to think about it. But uh, I'd like to. I think I'd like to do something between. between agricultural sciences and research at universities and farmers, uh, maybe looking at soil and um, I mean because yeah that that's one of the things that came up in my PhD and I never ended up writing about one of those things one of those leftovers that you have to cut out um, the life of soil and how soil is made to be fertile without chemicals. I think that's a really fascinating topic and one which is going to be more and more important as we run out of resources for pesticides, basically, and uh, fertilizers. So, something to think about. Yeah. I think we've almost come to the end of the podcast, um, but there's two final questions that I always ask people when they come on. So, are you happy to maybe share a little bit of advice? In terms of bio or in terms of PhD in general? In in both, actually. So, if you like, I'll set up the questions. Is that okay? Yeah, I think, okay, in terms of PhD in general, I'd say uh, networking gets a lot of bad press, and actually, it's great. And it's not difficult, and it's not scary. Networking is just talking to people who are interested in the same stuff that you're interested in. And they will not judge you. They know that you're just a PhD student and they will be more than happy to share their knowledge with you because it's so rare in the academia that somebody should be passionate about somebody else's argument that people are usually really grateful. (laughs) So just go and talk to them. Uh, If you find an interesting author call them. If you go to a conference and someone has an interesting presentation, go and talk to them. And it's, yeah, this this is how really interesting stuff happens uh, intellectually and in terms of jobs. So I recommend that. A second thing to say is that after the PhD, life continues just as it did before, which I found out the hard way. I had a bit of a slump after my Viva. I thought the Viva was like the pinnacle of life. And after that, everything would be rosy and easy and stressless. Uh, It's not like that. It just gets, well, it's just the same, really. So so 
try and have other interests apart from your work. It helps to get through that post-viva to normal life kind of stage of life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about the viva? Have you got any particular tips or advice you would give people? In terms of the viva, um, read the key articles that you refer to and don't be afraid to be critical of your own work. You don't have, I mean, if your thesis is all right, uh, you're probably already through. You just need to show that this is your own work um, and that you care about it and then you have something to say. So just don't, don't worry too much. Read through your thesis, read the key articles um, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I think that's a really great place to, to leave things. Th thank you so much, Anna. It's been really great talking to you. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's all for this episode of the podcast. Many thanks to Anna for taking part today and thanks to you for listening. If you've got any comments or questions about this episode or any other, then get in touch either through the website by tweeting at Viva Survivors or by emailing podcast at viva-survivors.com. It'd be great to hear from you, especially if you'd like to take part in a future episode. Until next time, I'm Nathan Ryder, and thanks for listening.